0: Welcome to Indie Live Radio on Friday the 5th of March and this is a very special daytime show. For the first time ever, Indie Live Radio are putting on a special International Women's Day edition and Marlene Halliday and I... Valerie Gold have been involved in putting it all together for you. And we've got really carried away. Originally we were going to do one show, but we, we were so bowled over with the number of fantastic women with interest and contributions that agreed to take part that we're now doing four shows. Um, and those four shows um, will be on today. From eleven till one tomorrow, Saturday, the sixth of March, from seven pm till nine pm, and then on International Women's Day itself, the first show will be aired from eleven am till one pm, and the second from three o'clock till five o'clock in the afternoon, and we'll have a mixture of all different sorts of women talking, some well known, others not so much, but all with something unique and special to talk talk to you about and there'll be music and poetry some of it specially written for the show and Marlene is going to tell you a bit about the women that you're going to be hearing from today.
1: Today we have six guests and the first guest is Rosa Sally, and then we move on to talk to Isabel Lindsay Then we've got a conversation between Val and some of the members of the Clackmannanshire Women for Independence. After that, we talk to Shona Craven, then Alison Thoulis, and wrap up with Agnes Tolme. We hope you enjoy the show. We've really enjoyed putting it together. We hope you enjoy the conversations and the music. Here we go.
0: Our next interviewee is Rosa Salee, and we're absolutely delighted to have you with us today. Hello, Rosa. Hello. Hi, Valerie. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, Rosa will be known to many of you. She came to this country at the age of only 12, and a since then she's made her mark very much on Scotland in many ways that you'll hear about soon. Uh, One of them was at the age of only 15 in Drumchapel High School. She was one of the Glasgow girls um, who um, successfully campaigned against deportations. And um, Rosa will tell you in her interview about other ways that she has challenged injustice so Rosa can we start off by talking about International Women's Day and this year's theme which is choose to challenge and that seems in some
2: ways to sum you up completely exactly (laughs) that's what I was going to say it actually sums me up because I've had a lot of challenges in my life and uh, you know kind of breaking barriers and making a difference to so many other people Uh, new Scots uh, to this country and um, when I was 15 years old I challenged uh, the immigration system and um, uh, with my friends in Drumchapel High School um, at the time there was down raids, people were taken by officials from their own home Um, kind of uh, ended that kind of way of um, inhumane way uh, by the Home Office and we campaigned, we went to the Scottish Parliament we met the uh, the first minister at the time uh, Jack McConnell, we challenged him uh, to kind of support uh, children's rights and refugee rights. Um, so uh, we kind of our campaign was very tough we didn't have social media at the time um, and I think it uh, was challenged. everything was done by fax and uh, newspapers and um, you know kind of the old-fashioned way. Um, it made an enormous impact, I remember it very well. <laughs> we made a lot of noise yes we never stopped and I think for young girls um, I think we really achieved a lot, uh, we achieved a lot and we made a difference, we challenged the system uh, that was really injustice and we asked for fairness and we ended child detention in the UK. I think um, like our campaign was so well-known that politicians in the UK Parliament was talking about us um, so yeah I think it became a really like nationwide uh, campaign The Glasgow Girls were known like in London,
0: <laughs> and so. then not just in London but in other countries as well. I mean, you made such an amazing impact and were immortalized in a,
2: a stage play and a television series. Yes, a musical was played of the Glasgow Girls, <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was uh, for me the musical was very, very interesting and it brought to light our story and you could feel it. You were there uh, when it was played. And I think that was very inspiring to so many people and also children Um, in schools, when they were studying modern studies, they went on to see the show and that inspired them to campaign whatever they are passionate about. Um, So, I mean, as a young child, I politically got involved um, I kind of believing campaigning uh, and gaining and involving myself in politics in in a, in a very young age. Um, I don't know if you know Valerie, but I applied to work for uh, with Nicola Sturgeon when I was very young. <laughs> yeah, so um, I worked with her for a week in the Parliament it's like an internship and it was for a week and it was really interesting i she was the minister for health and i knew she was going to places and I, I was just amazed by her work when i was only like 17 years old so yeah that kind of pushed me to go on and study at politics and law and that's why i studied and through my university life i came across a lot of challenges different challenges and I campaign on different issues. I always, like, if I see something that is, you know, there's a gray area, there's something is, you know, it's not right, I wanted to kind of make a difference. And I knew that asylum seekers didn't have access to higher education, and that was something, no one was talking about it at the time, nobody. And when I was speaking about the campaign and bringing my proposal, you know, uh, to people and, and saying, you know, this will make a difference to so many people, uh, you know, they laughed at me <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And I did win. Uh, but I think it, it took me to about a year, uh, a year to kind of make a difference. Um, and I think, you know, my proposal will make a huge difference to the institution itself and uh, Strathclyde University did become the first university in Scotland to provide asylum seekers scholarships. Um, And the the idea now has been implemented um, throughout other universities in Scotland and throughout the UK. Uh, And I think I've always had, you know, kind of an eye on gray areas, what is like something that's affecting people. Uh, Because of my unique kind of life experience, I've seen, a different kind of injustice for underrepresented people in this country, and i I've, I have challenged it through my life, and I have made a difference to so many people and I'm so grateful um, for the Scottish people because you know with Sc- you know the Scottish people have actually listened to me, you know they've actually have taken my initiative and you know they believed in me that you know I have a good intent. On, on what I'm actually campaigning on. So I can't take credit for everything. Scotland was also, like, kind of welcoming and kind of and under- just understanding. So
0: you challenged injustice, but you found a sort of fertile ground for the seeds you were trying to plant. Exactly, and I think
2: um, that's what makes such a beautiful story and you know about Scotland and the Glasgow girls and kind of my journey as well in Scotland
0: very inspiring and I'm sure you talk about being inspired when you worked for Nicola Sturgeon having you in Parliament would be a huge inspiration to other young people not just asylum seekers but young people from other backgrounds that may be underrepresented and, uh, you know who maybe need a voice and so so you are standing, uh, you're hoping to uh, be elected as a member of the Scottish Parliament in May, is that right Rosa? Yes
2: that's correct and I'm hoping that we do get um, you know Glasgow list seat uh, for SNP um, that's the party I'm standing on and I, I believe um, in Scottish independence and that's why you know, I've campaigned since 2014 for the cause. Um, and I think it's it's very close to my heart because I have family members in my family who have died for the cause of, you know, uh, sovereignty and freedom. And I think that is what's is pushing me a lot for, you know, we are a country in Scotland and I always challenge people. I'm like, even my trade union, I'm like, we're not regional, OK? We're not regional. <laughs> they always say that, and I'm like, no, no, we are a country. <laughs> and I think um, you know, I've always like, I've never been afraid of speaking up. I think that summarizes me. Um, I always speak my mind, and uh, sometimes I'm like, you know, I even if it, it makes you know, I'm in trouble. Uh, I'm like, okay, maybe this is not a really great platform to talk about this, but I talk about it anyway. <laughs> You know, Rosa, I think that's the only
0: way to do it because I think if you always say something that doesn't rock the boat, then you're not going to challenge, are you? And I, do, I just think that I'm so glad I've had the opportunity to talk to you today because I feel that you are the personification in some ways of this uh, motto of Thank this you. year's International Women's Day choose to challenge and i'd just like to thank you very much indeed for speaking to me today and also i wish you all the very best because i think you'd be a great
3: representative Aiton.
0: thank
2: you valerie i appreciate it thank you for having
1: me. all the best thank you at the moment i'm sitting with isabel lindsay Isabel's well-known in uh, Scottish political circles, and as also as a peace activist, and you know, for all the work in the campaign for nuclear disarmament. So here we are, uh, soon going to be International Women's Day. So when you got an email from us asking if you'd like to contribute to a programme, what came to mind?
4: I think first of all, you know, the advantage of uh, people from my generation is that we can look back and we can see change, the big, big changes that take place in our lifetime. And thinking about where we were when I was a young woman at the start of the 60s, um, and if you take something like birth control, it was very difficult to access any Female-controlled birth control. It was 1967 before uh, we had GPs could uh, yes. give yes. the pill out, and then only to married women. <laughs> yes. They had to be assured that you were married. <laughs> I actually managed to persuade a sympathetic <laughs> female GP at the time that I was just living in sin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and of course, it was '74, I think, before it was made free yeah, on yeah. the National Health Service. Yeah. And this this is such a big thing because beforehand, uh, the, the birth control that there was was largely male dependent. <laughs> yeah. So uh, even if you think of something like abortion, it was '19. Uh, 68 uh, it, b- abortion was legalised, and uh, full credit to David Steele mm. He had a very hard time. It was it his did. private members' yeah. bill that he had to fight through the the Commons and and get through. I mean, before that, it's not that abortions didn't happen. It's just there yeah. were so many backstreet abortions and women butchered in effect. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Equal pay, uh, that was 1970, uh, although it was about 75 before it actually came into effect and it's had to be upgraded constantly ever since. Um, But these things which people take for granted today, they had to be fought for and they were achieved and I think that's the encouraging bit that uh, things can change. They can change for the better. Women can be more empowered. Mm. It has happened in so many uh, different walks of life. And uh, things that uh, would have been run of the mill um, at that time, I, I did uh, learn uh, when I applied for, I, I'd been working on research contracts, but when I applied, For a permanent staff job at university as a lecturer. And I was told afterwards that on the selection panel, uh, someone had argued very strongly I was a young woman and I would just go and have children. (laughs) Now, fortunately, the majority in the panel (laughs) didn't think that was a legitimate reason for turning someone down. Um, But I, I think when we went on into the 80s, <clears throat> that in many ways men were the bigger victims during the 80s and the oh. period because it was male jobs primarily that were most uh, uh, brutally hit I think it was about 40% of manufacturing jobs in Scotland disappeared within 5-6 years
1: it was, and a whole, you know, turnaround in that generation of men and 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 young men's self-view and assumptions about what they could do with their life.
4: Yes, I remember a term that developed in some research work: aesthetic labour, <laughs> which was about jobs where appearance is very important. Oh yes,
1: yeah, yeah.
4: So. Uh, you are not going to get into certain kinds of retail into hospitality work unless you look right now that was restricting for women (laughs) or for many women who didn't fit the ideal image Um, and it was also restrictive for for many men Mm. uh, who didn't have uh, those kind of qualities which were nothing to do with their actual skills, it was to do with appearance and accent. I think it's particularly worthwhile to come on to the current situation where we're seeing with all the stats, the impact of lockdown, and of course many other issues around young people's employment uh, is that male and female young people are both sharing very grim Employment oh. prospects and and economic prospects because if they can get work it's low paid work it's zero hours contract work um, and it's very insecure and their ability at the same time to be able to afford housing to afford a lot of the things that we could afford um, look pretty bleak for yeah, them. You do,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is
4: why I think. One of the things that a women's movements uh, should be doing is to reach out and to say, "Look at these big issues of inequality and economic insecurity and housing and these are issues we share, let's campaign together, together. because though it is the case that that um, the gap between male and female earnings, is still very significant and it's among the highest I think in Europe Uh, but by and large that gap doesn't start to kick in until women are in their you know late 20s onwards and it's a lot of it is connected with our child. Yeah. Minding and childbearing Yeah, And taking
1: taking time off for, for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that does it. Uh, kind of... When you do
4: that for a career break, even though it's quite a short career break, yeah. that can so readily uh just put you out of the picture in terms of promoted positions. And yeah. um, and I think also many women, I mean, one of the traditional problems is um a certain lack of confidence in going forward for promoted positions, uh, or perhaps it is a certain rationality, because (coughs) I have to say, I never was particularly interested in promoted positions. (laughs) Yes,
1: uh, indeed, it's like it can be, I mean, yes, it can be a situation where there are, um, you know. Uh, hurdles to get over mm-hmm. if you're a woman and uh, that aren't there for a man but yeah it can also be that people just make that decision again actually i don't yeah. want to do that i'm really happy doing what i'm doing yeah i i, I don't want to go into uh, uh often these um more you know up higher up the hierarchy are often sometimes more administrative and take yes. people away from the practicalities of maybe what they what they enjoy
4: Absolutely. If you enjoy teaching, if you enjoy nursing or some other areas of medicine and so on, uh, to go up the ladder takes you into admin, takes you away from the actual work. So I think quite often women's choices in this are are really quite rational, uh, rather than just being a matter of um, lack of confidence. Yeah,
1: yeah so do you think do you think sort of you know with a kind of perspective into the you know some decades into the past and and then we're in this situation now that been that's been thrown up because of the pandemic i mean do you get kind of get the sense that it's uh another generation and they're facing Difficulties, but in some ways they're facing some of the same difficulties that you know we faced, or our mothers or grandmothers faced. You know, you know, a sense you can sometimes get a sense of, you know, things circle back round, and sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're a bit different. Do Mm
4: -hmm. Do you
1: think? Do you see that happening?
4: I think there are some elements that are perhaps a bit worse. For our current younger generation, because you know, if you think back, <laughs> the whole the whole idea of zero hours contracts, oh. nobody had really kind of thought of it. You know, if you you had part time work and you had full time work, and but part time work, you knew what you were taking on, you knew what your income was going to be, um, whereas the balance of power has moved so much towards employers that they can dictate what suits them. Yes. And what suits them is flexible labour. But flexible labour doesn't suit most
1: <laughs> most of the labourers. That's, that's yes. The rest of yeah. Us. And, and, and you know, and it doesn't suit it doesn't suit workers, people who, who yeah. need to need a, a wage coming in to to think they've got a shift to turn up for it and then be mm-hmm. told. Oh, yeah, we've only got you, for, only need you for a couple yeah. of hours and then go home. I mean, yes. That is that. I mean, you used the word brutal earlier, and I, I think that is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, that must be, it must be dreadful to be in that position. Yes. yes. And of
4: course, it has all the implications uh, very hard to get a mortgage. So the opportunities for home ownership, which some of us had, many of us had, um, even if the, you know, I can remember, I think our house, first house in, in uh, Glasgow, a, a five bedroom flat. Um, we got 100% mortgage for the £1,000 it cost. Yes. <laughs> you know, even in relation to earnings in those days. Um, and lots of these opportunities have gone. Mm-hmm you know for young people and both, so this is why I'm saying that um uh let's focus on the issues still, the issues that remain for women that are very particular to women, but don't neglect the issues where we share the same problems with with men
1: yeah
4: and and men also have their own distinct problems
1: yes, yes so so in a way, come together in in an alliance, yes, yeah. yeah.
4: And if one thinks just recently to, to, I mean, historically recently to bring it back to Scottish independence. and um, I I can recall that uh, when the Constitutional Convention was set up and one of the things that uh, many of us were very keen to try to ensure that uh, the, the participation of women in a Scottish Parliament was uh, encouraged and helped and supported Um, and some of us thought there was a good case for legislating for because the participation of Scottish women at any women but most particularly Scottish women at Westminster was so abysmally Mm. low Mm. and um, so we set up the Women's Claim of Right Group and the STC Women's Committee had the fifty-fifty campaign, and this was an active, uh, you know, very active part of that <coughs> campaigning <coughs> for the, the Scottish Parliament. And do
1: you think, um, you know, sort of pleased enough with uh, what they've managed to do so far? I mean, it's not fifty-fifty in the in in Holyrood, is it? It's
4: it's not 50-50, but it is very substantial.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's very um, noticeable. It's very mm-hmm. noticeable when you, you know, if you're just kind of watching a debate yeah. or something. I mean, I have to say it's also noticeable in the Commons. Well, compared to, you know, if For we both go back to this, what it, it was, um, <laughs> it is also very not- still noticeable down there. And, um, uh, and the actual, the Scottish Government Cabinet is... Getting on for 50 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, um, Nicola Sturden certainly tried yeah. to do that. Yes.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, there are other issues that I think are, are, are worth raising. I do have some, I mean, one doesn't want to make generalisations, but there are some strands in contemporary feminism where I think instead of focusing on the big important things, on the economic inequality issues uh, in, in the barriers uh, to the various kinds of progress in society uh, to the issues around child care and, and so on and to the issues of serious violence yes. uh, these are big and important issues and sometimes there are some strands who pick up what I would consider as minor nuisance issues and make an awful big fuss about. Them.
1: What are you thinking of?
4: I, I I'm thinking out of people are always going to say the wrong thing. Uh sometimes uh they're going to make the wrong kind of jokes, uh, they may make the wrong kind of gestures. Oh. And I don't mean one shouldn't reference them or say not a good idea.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: But that they're not huge issues, you know, um, and they're not necessarily done with ill will behind them. Sometimes there may be ill will, but sometimes it's just not thinking about it, not realizing mm. the implications. Mm. And so, so you think
1: it's better maybe point it out, but then let's exactly. move on. Yeah. Yes, yeah.
4: And it's only if these things persist and persist, or if you feel there is something. Genuinely uh, hostile behind it. That's one thing. But if it's just something a bit stupid and insensitive, then deal with it. You know. Focus. Focus on some of the bigger things. Um, and uh you know, kind of distinguish between the things that are seriously damaging to women, the the abusive behavior which is seriously uh, uh damaging, and the kind of, as I say, minor nuisance things yeah, yeah. which are not so important, you know, just try and deal with this, focus on the bigger things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah.
4: But there we are we've made huge progress we have in that time and women have driven it but there are a fair number of honorable men who've, <laughs> who've been in there uh supporting and assisting and we should give them credit and uh, our task is to see what are the big issues and problems today but to recognize that a lot of males have big issues and problems, yeah, too, yeah. and be aware and be sensitive towards them.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's been really lovely talking to you, Isabel, and, and again, I just thanks so much for obviously thinking through you know, on the whole topic and, and coming, uh, coming to chat uh, about it. So yes, yeah, so thanks, thanks so much for
5: doing that.
3: Indy Live Radio.
5: My name is Joan Kay, and I am so happy to be addressing you at Indie Live Radio for International Women's Day special. I uh, have been in Scotland for four decades, and I was attracted by the excellence of your universities and also by your extraordinary intellectual achievements through the centuries i now have a scottish husband and three scottish children i love the country and admire it tremendously and the longer i live the longer i live here the more i admire it there is um, i come from portugal and uh, one of the greatest poets of the 20th century in Portugal and in Europe was Fernando Pessoa. And there is a line from one of his poems that I always think about when I think about Scotland. It's from a book that he wrote called Mensagem. He wrote it in the 30s when we in Portugal were under political oppression and we had lost the sense of who we were. And we needed someone to tell us, to remind us about our extraordinary contribution to world history, to the discoveries and many other achievements. Looking at our faults, but also reminding us how much we had contributed, what our, our spirit of endurance, our qualities had led us to do, what the people can do. And the line from this poem is from, um, the poem is called Mar Português, Portuguese Sea and the line is Tudo vale a pena Se a alma não é pequena Ay, all things worth it Gainé a hair soul That's muckle in you Everything is worth it If your soul is big enough now, I've lived here for a long time, and I know that Scotland's soul is more than big enough for anything. So choose to challenge. So I'm here
3: with.
0: World renowned Clax Wifeys for <laughs> Independence. I'm a great fan of you, Clax Wifeys. I've listened to you often, and I'm quite sure to be here as part of your virtual coffee morning for a change. And um, the reason I'm here is to ask a few of you for your views about International
3: Women's Day for our special edition of the daytime show, which will go out on Friday, the 5th of March, and also. Repeated on International Women's Day, the 8th of March. And the campaign theme this year is
0: Choose to Challenge. So I'm here with Fiona McGregor, Lynn Dugan.
3: Joy. <laughs> so I was really here just to ask you for your views.
6: I think I'm all for it. It's something that we need to celebrate and kind of promote more. When I look at where we are now compared to where we are 20, 30 years ago when I was a young woman just coming out of school and going into work, things have changed quite a lot since then. You know, I I went for one job interview where they asked me, was I joining this particular organisation which had a uniform to find a man? (laughs) And I'm like... No, I'm, I'm joining it to do the job that you do. You know now things like that can't be asked in interview. So there have been changes, me, but we're still nowhere near equal yet with regards to work and life and whatever else. So I think we've got to keep pushing, and we've got to keep and encouraging younger women that they can do whatever they want to do. You know, don't don't let people shut doors in your faces, or if they do, go and find another door to open. and find a different route to do things
7: yourself. Yeah.
3: You know we have come a long way but there's an awful lot further
7: to go. You just get the reminder of that with the lockdown and when you think of how many households right now you've got people homeschooling their children I would be willing to bet that it's largely the women who are both working from home and homeschooling their children. That whole responsibility for childcare and everything else, remember that phrase in the early 70s, they were saying, you can have it all, and then it's the case of, well, actually, you've got it all, but now you're doing it all as well. You're doing the housework Mm -hmm. and the work and the childcare. (laughs) But I thought it was quite interesting, the slogan, though, that choose to challenge, because it's almost an aggressive kind of slogan, isn't it? Absolutely, you've got to challenge things. But are we doing it in a way that's collaborative and doing it in a constructive way, constructive challenge, or are we just setting our faces against something? I'm not sure about the wording of it, to be honest.
3: give a little more detail, they say, to explain it and wind it out a bit more, they say, a challenged world is an alert world. Individually, we're all responsible for our own thoughts and actions all day, every day. We can all choose to challenge and call out gender bias and inequality. We can all choose to seek out and celebrate women's achievements. Collectively, we can all help create an inclusive world. From challenge comes change. I think that's really important, what you said. It's not all about criticism and attacking. It's it's also about collaboration and
7: comradeship. Yeah, and listening and appreciating each other's views as well. That's the one thing with some of the current debate. Some of it, the amount of aggressive closing down of debate... By throwing insults around you cannot work through that and get to good outcome you can only do that by trying to find the common ground with people and then trying to explore the differences in a way that you can all respect each other's views and I'm not sure that that's necessarily summed up by the choose to challenge phrase but having said that certainly I'd rather be choosing to challenge than rolling over and taking whatever's being dished out. I
3: think a lot depends on the
7: yeah, very much so. We're not also of an age where we, we've got more time to challenge in some
3: respects than you mm-hmm. might have had when you were um, when you were raising kids, you know? Yeah, because when you're young, you're trying to, as you say, do all raising kids. People have got maybe less time available for political activity. I remember he talked to somebody about the political party I'm in, and they were talking about their daughter and said, well, she's very keen on independence but she really doesn't have time to take part in the party because she's a full-time teacher and she's got two kids so basically she's hardly got time to go to the toilet never mind taking part in political activity but I mean we're all of a certain age where maybe we've got a bit more um, available time to mm-hmm. I
6: think as well, younger people as well they're maybe in, in positions where they're watching what they say and do carefully because of the potential impact it can have on their career you know, and then you, you get to a stage where you're a wee bit longer in the tooth and you really don't give a hoot what anybody, you've, you've had it up to here and you're like, I'm sick and tired of holding back and being diplomatic and polite. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think and why I think it and then we'll leave it there you know and I saw that with, with my grands and I see it with my mum and my mother-in-law as well they're like oh, I have to look trying waste now you know <laughs>
3: that's a very important point Lenny. I mean I'm, I'm sure we've all seen that in our careers you know when people are younger and they're looking for promotion they're looking to climb that and Crazy, pole. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to say that, but yes. <laughs> They're trying to climb up and establish their careers. They have to be careful about what they see. And, and in some professions, you're actually specifically prohibited from expressing your political views.
7: I think that there's another way of of coming at it, though, which is something we touched on in one of our earlier discussions, I think, which is how much do young women nowadays realise how lucky they are because of all the challenging we did for the previous 30 years? And I watch some of the conversations going on now, and I really worry that they're letting things go that we worked hard for. You can see parallels to it with the whole Brexit thing and let's get rid of all the red tape well actually that red tape was keeping you safe it took a lot of effort over many years to get that red tape put in place so that you didn't die <laughs> and you know it's the same kind of thing with women who well, wouldn't be too quick to throw away rights that we've had to fight for wow.
3: interesting enough, making the, the comment earlier on about it being women, National Women's Day is, I was at an all girls school so you celebrated that every single year that was incredibly important 8th of March is, it's not thrown away and it's quite interesting that we now no longer have any state girls' schools in Scotland. I don't know whether that's a benefit or not. I personally would say it probably isn't not having choice. I went to a school I've never been to an no-girls school, but I think there's a lot of research to show that girls do very, very well.
7: But that's your argument for a lot of women-only spaces, isn't it? I mean, I went for two years to a girls-only school, and then it went comprehensive in the third year. And it was a much pleasanter learning experience in the first two years. It just has a different kind of feel to it, especially when you're that age, when you're 11, 12, 13, you know. It just was nicer. I used to find at work, if you had a, a training classroom that just happened to be full of women rather than a mixed one, the atmosphere is different in a mixed class and the way they speak to each other is different. One of the things I really liked when I first went to some of the Sterling Women for indie events was they would always try and encourage women to speak first, because if you don't, even today, look at any event, when they throw the floor open, it's almost always a man who will speak first, because that is their conditioning and we let them do that. And unless you're kind of aware of it. Unless you're... unless
3: you're us. You've me at the
7: meeting I was at the other day. It was like, yes, okay, Well, will let you speak again. Thanks for me join your chat. I really You're very welcome. You'll probably end up in our podcast. <laughs> That was
0: a recording of a conversation. Clark Manager Women for Indie Group. And one of the women you heard was Lynn Dugan. Lynn is a very talented person who paints beautiful yes stones and she also writes poetry. And now you're going to hear a poem specially written by Lynn for International Women's Day, We
8: Are Women, Hear Us Roar. Poem written by myself, Lynn Dugan, for International Women's Day 2021 with a wee nod to Helen Reddy. I am woman, hear me roar. I play football, see me score. Create opportunities, open doors. Dismiss less, demand more. Teachers, lawyers, nurses, doctors. Choose your career, be an engineer. Plumbers, pilots, architects, mechanics. More than you thought, we're astronauts. Web designers, analysts, IT technicians. Lighten your load, because we can write code. Professors, explorers, inventors, researchers. Need a revolution? We're your solution. Artists, sculptors, dancers, musicians. Entertainment to satiate, we will create. Journalists, authors, playwrights, poets. If it's words you desire, we will inspire. We are women, hearers roar. Dismiss less, demand more. Time for us now to raise a glass to great women of the future, present and past. So
0: I'm delighted today to be speaking to Shona Craven. Shona is a columnist for the National Newspaper and Community Editor. She edits the National conversation section of the paper, and she also writes a weekly Prime Minister's Question sketch and a Friday column, which usually takes a sideways look at the week's developments in Scottish, UK and international politics. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard Shona on the radio and seen her on TV because she regularly contributes with political analysis on the events of the moment in here in Scotland on our political situation. So welcome Shona. Hello. Thank you so much for taking time out your busy schedule to um, speak to our listeners um, here at indylive.radio on our special International Women's Day edition. The theme this year is Choose to Challenge and we have a wide range of women taking part and we've asked folk to speak on the subjects that are dearest to their heart in terms of women's rights and women's situation and you indicated that one of the subjects that you would like to focus on is that of coercive control so I wonder if I I could maybe start by asking you why is that a subject that you would like particularly to focus on Shona? I
9: think for me, this is something that over maybe the last 10 years or so of my life has become a, an, an issue that kind of almost touches every aspect of life. I think the older I, I get and, and the more kind of people I I, I meet, the more I realise how incredibly pervasive this is as a problem and that it can affect women from all different backgrounds. It can affect women who are engaged and with feminist debates, with um, discussions around domestic abuse, just knowing about this is not actually a, a, a protector in terms of it happening. And the phrase coercive control, I think most people won't have really heard that phrase for it until relatively recently, not least because the Scottish Parliament has legislated against it. Um, And I think that in itself is great, that it's a phrase that people have now heard and have a bit of an understanding of. Although it's my belief that we we can definitely go further in raising awareness of what this is and why it causes such harm. Um, So as I say, the, the, the Scottish Parliament did pass legislation that acknowledged these subtle and insidious forms of control as part of domestic abuse. And generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of sort of symbolic legislation i.e laws that do exist but might not be used you know I, i'm not sure we're ever going to see a raft of prosecutions for this but just having that public discussion it made people aware that this is something that goes on it's something that's absolutely not okay and it's something that you can speak up about and hopefully speak up about without any feelings of shame or embarrassment or that you're to blame because we've recognised that this is a really problematic and in some cases criminal thing that that happens and of course it does not exclusively but predominantly like all forms of domestic abuse, this is an issue which affects women as victims disproportionately due to women's situation and, and, and overall lack of power whether that be financial or the fact that they are more vulnerable due to perhaps their their physical bodies and you know things like caring responsibilities so I'm just really keen that we develop the conversation around this beyond just passing a law against it.
0: I think that's such an important um, concept isn't it and for anybody who's listening who's not aware the that law, the domestic abuse law, came into force on the 1st of April 2019, so almost two years now. Uh, And it's a welcome change because it does recognise the multiple ways that people can be affected. Um, As you say, that's a really interesting thing I'd never thought of, the idea that the law doesn't necessarily, isn't just there to prosecute people, but the idea of it being symbolic so that it raises awareness and and can facilitate discussion that's that's a really interesting line of of argument, isn't it
9: yeah, and as i say there there's sometimes when when laws are passed that I think well you know is this about sort of generating a headline you know we've 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 legislated in this way rather than actually getting people convicted of whatever offense has been created but but like I said I think I think it is really important in this in this instance to send that message and to make people aware because people will have experienced elements of this or, or seen it happen to friends and I know that I have watched in in real time The way that this process sometimes people don't realize until it's happened to someone they know how incredibly comprehensive a takeover of somebody's life can be that simply by a drip feed of comments or sort of putting in restrictions for example on what somebody wears or which friends they see or what time they come home by and each of these things in itself can be quite easily dismissed oh he's he's quite jealous because loves me so much he he doesn't want other men looking at me and there are ways that um these things can be rationalized or oh I need to spend more time with him so I'm going to cancel plans with my friends but the problem is I think a lot of the time by the time women realize what's happened it's too late and there may be these feelings of shame of thinking well you know if I've sort of ditched my friends or stopped contacting my family are they going to want to hear from me are they going to be annoyed at me because I've I've done this and I think what's important to me is that we keep this conversation going so that women who are in that situation will feel empowered to reach out for help whether that's to people they know whether that's to organizations like a women's aid group and I think in the past they might have thought well He's not hitting me or he's not locking the door and preventing me from leaving. So, you know, this is probably my own fault. You need to have a bit more backbone or whatever. But now that we understand this process and the way this sort of drip drip way um, that abuse can take hold, hopefully that will empower women to realise. But beyond that, hopefully we can... Try and ensure that these these abusive relationships are nipped in the bud earlier, and this is where I sort of my choose to challenge is slightly to challenge some of the orthodoxy around this. sometimes I, I I rub up again slightly the sort of official line of the the women's sector, which is understandably that um abusive men are the ones who need to change and we we mustn't victim blame and we mustn't say that women are are, are to blame for getting in relationships with these men. and I think, maybe that is stopping us from actually educating particularly young people but not just young people on the signs of these relationships so that they themselves can say no actually i don't think that's right or no he's he's over the top you know this is love bombing this isn't normal the the singer fka twigs has spoken about her experience um of alleged abuse by the actor shia labeouf and one of the things she mentioned was being sent dozens of bouquets every day at one point. I I can't remember if they'd had a falling out or something. And she said, even at the time, she she wasn't comfortable with that. It felt like too much. But I got the sense she didn't maybe even have the vocabulary to, you know, to call that love bombing and to identify that as something sinister. And you know, if she'd said to her friends, I'm getting too many bouquets of flowers, you could well imagine (laughs) someone going, Oh, well, poor you. But if she said, oh, I think this could be part of a course of conduct that's maybe designed to manipulate me, then that takes on a different sort of character. And, you know, she is a great example of someone who is a strong woman, who's broken down boundaries with her career. And as she said, she had the money to leave. She had friends and family, and yet she got sucked in and uh, to a point where a lot of people would, as the famous sort of cliche goes, say, well, why didn't she just leave? You know, if things were so bad, but the the, the framework of coercive control, helps explain why she didn't just leave because she was being controlled and this is it's about mind games as well as other forms such as physical or sexual abuse that can occur alongside it.
0: As you say it's a very insidious process and it can be through a whole lot of small acts that on their own don't mean anything but put together a form a pattern and gradually chip 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 away at a woman's self confidence um and you know belief in herself really. I mean the and the, the definition on Women's Aids um website is that Coercive controls an act or pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, intimidation, or other abuse that is used to harm, punish, or frighten their victim, designed to make a person dependent by isolating them from support, exploiting them, and depriving them of independence and regulating their everyday behaviour. So. You know, you've got a kind of spectrum there, haven't you, where, you know, assault might be at one end, but just small limits on everyday behaviour, like you mentioned, dress, and what role do you see as schools and maybe youth groups also playing in getting young men and young women eh, to look at teenagers, young people, to look, to examine eh, the relationships and what they think is okay. Yeah, I think I'm I'm always a little bit hesitant of saying, you know, schools need
9: to do this and that, because I know teachers are often listening and thinking, "I, all right, you know, however, how many other things do you want to be our responsibility? That's
0: music to my (laughs) ears.
9: But having said that, you know, this is obviously something that has to be addressed at a young age. And I I really don't envy uh, the teachers and, and other school support staff who are having to navigate a situation where you've got people sending each other a flurry of nudes um which you know the the issue of informed consent of doing something like that is really tricky so you're i think there's almost a degree of firefighting going on at the moment um, in terms of quite horrendous levels of sexual harassment and low level but still potentially very damaging kind of verbal uh, abusive or undermining activity that goes on so I think we absolutely do need to think one way that I would go about it and I mean I'm not an educator and this isn't my field but I think even just giving examples of behaviour to stimulate discussion so yes you know the the list you you read out from Women's Aid you know covers a lot of really worrying behaviour but I would love to sort of say to young people talk about romantic gestures and even you know this idea of the the sort of love bombing thing as I say you know what what is and isn't appropriate and, and what might be raising a red flag in terms of is it is it a romantic gesture or is it possessiveness is it is it passionate or is it problematic and just get young people themselves to kind of talk these things through and plant a seed so they can think about it but one example that I found fascinating was the storyline in the archers that was about this which I'm not a listener but my mum is and as I understand it was a very very slow build which is something you can do in these kind of long long form kind of soap operas and they sort of showed the drip drip very effectively and I found it fascinating because I had been as I tend to do banging on to my mum for quite a while about this because from my experience of people that I knew it was really become becoming a, a big worry for me, um, and I'd sort of spoken to her about it. And don't get me wrong, you know, she she would listen and say okay. But then when it was on the Archer, she was coming to me and saying, "Oh, and this is how it works, and this is," and I'm like, "Mum, I know this, but I'm glad that it's being sort of communicated to you in a way you understand." And obviously, that's an older age group, and I think it's great that people of all ages are learning how this can happen so they can possibly say okay you know to to someone they know right well you know we've met this guy and he seems nice but I didn't really like the way he you know um, seemed to be steering the conversation or seemed to be limiting what you were saying even if it's quite a subtle thing I think everyone needs to be on the alert for these clues and red flags but I know myself. I felt very powerless in these situations because the whole nature of it is that if you start to challenge it, then you might end up just pushing the person away. And of course, isolation is is the sort of precondition for this sort of stuff to thrive. And then the abuser starts saying, "Well, your friends aren't interested. They're not. They don't want anything to do with you. Um, you know, it's just me and you." And getting the person breaking them down so they're so vulnerable. Another uh, good bit of awareness raising is um, a woman called Malin Anderson, she was a Love Island contestant, I, I didn't watch it at the time so I never saw her on it and she is doing great stuff on Instagram um, in terms of body positivity because being put down, I mean she's has, you know, an incredible figure uh, but and and now seems like a very very confident woman you know she dances around in her underwear but she makes it clear that when she was in an abusive relationship he would make comments call her fat tell her she wasn't attractive and in spite of all the evidence to the contrary she would start to believe it and so she's really doing a great job of showing how someone who is a confident woman does have so much going for her it, it not I don't just mean in, in physical appearance of course and um, but in terms of her character but you know what she's saying is if someone as strong as me can not fall for this that's the wrong word but can be manipulated into not liking myself anymore not trusting myself anymore then it could happen to you and so she's raising awareness of red flags that people should look out for and I think that Is really really valuable and yes we want the the men and it is predominantly men not to abuse but I think more needs to be done to just say to women not blaming them for being in this situation but empowering them to identify that they're in it and take steps at the earliest
0: opportunity to exit from it. That's so true Um, so what message would you give then if you to anybody listening who was concerned about a friend or a family member or even about the, the, their own relationship what what message would you give to them and and how they can challenge this Shona it's a really really difficult one and this
9: is where I feel inadequate and um, where I'm really not sure what people should do I'd love to say I'd love to be able to say well from my experience I I, you know, took action, spoke to my friends, and and they left the relationship. But unfortunately, that's not that wouldn't be the truth of the matter. And so this is why I think there needs to be just more and more public discussion so that people are empowered themselves to challenge in the right way. And and I honestly don't have the answer, which is why it's something that I wanted to talk about, because I'd like to generate more of a conversation about this, because there is the danger that if you challenge what someone you know is saying about their relationship they will say well that person's not being supportive of me because if they're not supportive of the relationship then they're not supportive of me and I'm going to I don't want to hear that possibly because they know deep down that there's truth in it possibly because they absolutely reject it or think that their partner is being unfairly maligned so you know I wish I could say that I have the answers here but I I don't and, and that's why I think that it's important that individuals are empowered to identify the signs for themselves because no one likes someone else coming along like an interfering busybody and saying I don't like your boyfriend apart from anything else you know maybe you're just jealous of the relationship maybe you just want to spend more time with your friend there's always ways that they could say well I'm not going to listen to that I think this is fine
0: it's an absolute minefield it
9: really it? is it really is and this is why I've got such a bee in my bonnet about it because probably because I feel personally have I approached this the wrong way in the past am I confident of approaching it in the future am I oversensitive to it I'm a, am I the relationship police now but I think we need to strike a balance between supporting people we know including in the natural ups and downs of relationships and also being someone who they know they can pick up the phone to and say do you know what can I come round? Not just now, obviously. And that's a whole other part of the problem. But someone, make sure we keep the lines of communication open so that people always know they can come to you and say, Do you know what? I'm not I'm not too happy about this. Can, can you be a listening ear? And maybe that's part of my problem that I find it quite hard to listen and not offer advice. And sometimes even just being someone who will listen and not be judgmental and not be saying, Well, why did you get with this guy? Or why did you put up with that? Just to try and be understanding and Make sure you're always available to, to be someone who who people can come to and talk to.
0: It's a very thoughtful um, perspective, because uh, we all know that even in, in um, examples where it's not to do with coercive control it's all very well for a friend to moan and groan about her husband and criticize him a bit to you but if you start agreeing and say oh and there's something else i don't like about him that goes down like a lead balloon
3: yeah, so-
9: absolutely absolutely <laughs> and the problem is the problem is and i'm sure we've all been there that somebody will have a moan and uh you know be really really scunnered with a situation um but then maybe down the line you'll say, Oh, how's that going? And they'll go, Oh, do you know what? I was just in a in a bad mood that day or he was just annoying me that week. It's actually fine, you know, don't worry. So you don't want to be in this situation where people don't raise low level
0: gripes with you because they think you're gonna suddenly blow it into something it's not. Um I, I I do think it's such a fascinating topic and I I you've you've addressed it and discussed it in such a thoughtful and insightful way. I'm really glad that you've um, brought this to us to, to speak about today, Shona. So thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much. Hopefully
9: it's just the start of a, an ongoing conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is for International Women's Day 2021, but maybe you'll come back in the future and talk to us again. So thanks very much indeed. I'm here today with Alison Thulis MP, who is the SNP MP for Glasgow Central and the Treasury spokesperson in Westminster for the Scottish National Party. Hello, Alison. Hi, Valerie. So it's. Well, I'm so glad. I know that you must be incredibly busy um, with the budget coming up this week. As um, so I do appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. One of the reasons we were so keen to speak to you is on International Women's Day Special Edition, is that um, the theme is choose to challenge, and you are somebody who is constantly challenging um, the Tories and uh, in Westminster, and per- specifically and particularly on a, a range of issues that have been really important to women, like, um, for example, the rape clause, um, the two child family cap, issues like breastfeeding, But I know there are many other issues that are close to your heart. So I just wondered if you'd like to comment on what that theme of International Women's Day choose to challenge. What would that mean to you, Alison?
10: For me, it's kind of challenging all the kind of the way things have always been done. And there's a lot of that in Westminster that, you know, because this is the way that things are done, it should always be thus. And and I don't believe that that's true. And I think, Women, particularly in the past few years, especially, have begun to find those voices. Who they began to to speak up and to to make their voice heard and to challenge things uh, that they think aren't right. And the one that's been quite interesting to me is the issue around a period poverty and the tampon tax and and things like that. Because when I, I was elected in twenty fifteen, that was in the SNP's manifesto um, to get rid of the tampon tax and we were the only kind of mainstream party to have that on our manifesto and I was quite proud of that and when we got through our first, when we had the first budget at Westminster in 2015 uh, myself and Roger Mullen we put down an amendment to the finance bill to find a way of of starting to challenge that and starting to say actually um, this has been there for years it's been there for years because of the male finance ministers making the decisions on this um, and we think it should be scrapped and it was quite a a weird thing to stand up in in a room full of pretty crusty old men mainly and start to talk about you know tampons in front of them and it sort of coincided with a whole lot of other things around the tampon tax and other people sort of finding their voice on that and really amazing um, campaigners who took to the streets and made petitions and all the rest of it and it was really really pleasing to see that and find what and see those women finding their voice and finding something they could campaign on, something that really, really mattered to them. And now we've got um, uh, the Scottish Government doing uh, amazing work on the back of um, sort of cross party efforts uh, to get rid of um, period poverty in Scotland as well. So it's been really amazing to see voices coming that have never really been out there on the streets before um, through an issue like that.
0: And that's something that has brought Scotland international recognition.
10: Yeah. Isn't it? It is and really brilliant to see that and other other, other countries now um, picking up where, where Scotland has led so it's been a really interesting thing to see that and on an issue where people would you know traditionally feel quite squeamish about it they wouldn't want to talk about it but folk have found their voice and I think that's been great
0: Just not only does it um, address the the problem of period poverty, but it, in some ways it it brings that subject that is taboo, makes it acceptable to talk about openly.
10: Yeah, absolutely. And there was um, a big demo opposite Ten Downing Street, and there's like women in loudspeakers talking about the periods. And I'm like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. Um, but it's just amazing how quickly things can move when women find their voice.
0: Yeah, I remember being at a protest um, through in near the National Galleries that you were speaking at, and I think there's a very different atmosphere at a protest when it's mm-hmm. all women, isn't it? It's quite a different kind of new feel.
10: There is, yeah, there is definitely, and you get that feeling that when you go up to speak, you're you're supported and surrounded by people that um, you you know that you feel safe as well. Getting up in that kind of environment. Even, it's a good
0: thing even though it is, is cross-party you know mm-hmm. um, you know I got the feeling there that there were women there from different parties which quite often would be slightly tribal but because mm-hmm. it was all women that Obviously, you know, it's still there the fact that the parties don't see eye to eye. You don't want to be all together, but um, certainly that yeah. I think there is a different atmosphere of yeah. more collaborative. Do you think having more women in the Parliament? I know that Westminster is traditionally a very combative um, environment. Do you think having more women involved makes cross-party
10: working more feasible? I think it does, yeah, because it gives you immediately a bit more of an in somehow. It's difficult to kind of explain exactly why. But you find common ground, you find common interest, and you can work more easily from there, whereas quite often you find that men that have come into politics start off very tribal. I think it's what, what draws people to politics in the first place, um, and how they think politics is done you know, is it about men in suits shouting at one another or is it about trying to get things done and trying to find agreement and trying to move things forward. By and large I find that you get a lot further with issues working collaboratively and quite often women are more up for that as well.
0: So we tend to see very much the the bare pit of the chamber but from what I can ascertain a lot of the more constructive work in Westminster is done in committees, would that be right?
10: Yeah, and a lot of it happens outside of of the main chamber as well, that you've got not just um, committees, but you've got cross-party groups as well, all-party groups in in Westminster, where people who who have common interests and common cause can come together, and quite often, lately, um, Westminster Hall debates, which is the kind of second uh, debating chamber at Westminster you go to those debates and everybody in the the room agrees even the Tories, everybody apart from the Minister so that's been happening quite a lot as well um, where you're finding a lot of common ground between MPs who usually you wouldn't have very much in common with
0: So tell me Alison, of all the things that you have done since you've been you you were elected in 2015 weren't you? You were one of the the big wave of 56 MPs and prior to that you were a a Glasgow City Councillor so you've been involved in politics for for quite a while now. Um, so what would you say in t- going with this theme of choose to challenge? What would you say? What, what would you say the biggest challenge that you've had to face is as a woman in politics?
10: I think it's always been about perceptions. I suppose it's about what people expect politicians to be like and what they expect them to do. So when I was first elected to the council. Um, in two thousand and seven, the expectation was that if you were a councillor in Glasgow, you were an old white man and you were Labour. So you go, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Dills, I'm an SNP councillor, and they'd be like, "Oh my goodness, what is you know what is this? My head, my head, my head, can't compute." And it's finding your way through all of those kind of things, and they're not they're not huge insurmountable barriers, but there's a real kind of bit about do I fit here? Do I not fit here? And the more that you don't feel as though you fit, the harder it is to get your job done, I think. Because people don't expect you to be there, they don't expect you to, yeah, you don't, you don't look like what their perception of a politician is, and that, you know, counts for lots of different people in politics. And I'm glad that politics is becoming more diverse, that that kind of perceptions challenge challenged more and more, um, because politics should be for everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, what you look like, what your background is. Uh, where you've come from you should be able to have your place there um, along with everybody else it shouldn't just be, you know, as I was saying before about men in suits arguing it should be about everybody having a role in there and I suppose over the years you get more comfortable in, in your own position doing that but it's still really, really daunting in a lot of scenarios that you're going into where you think um, you have that thing where you, you automatically assume everybody's much more qualified than you much more able than you um, and you just have to try and kind of find your way through all of that and that's you know it's not like I say huge instrumental barriers but it's continuing to sort of push against your own comfort barriers as well and um, what you what you're feel able to do and what you what you have to do um, can be quite a big gap sometimes and it's just kind of getting yourself into that mind space where you're going yeah I know this this might be uncomfortable but I'm going to push myself forward for things that's tricky um, but it's it's worth doing
0: so what would If there's any young women out there who are thinking about standing for office, about standing for Glasgow Council or for, for Parliament, what would your message to them be, Alison?
10: Absolutely put yourself forward for things and, and do it, but learn from other people around you as well, people who've been there for a wee bit longer who can give you more insight. We've got brilliant young councillors in Glasgow, folk like Christina Cannon, who are so enthusiastic for, for what they do, but listen to them, see what their perspective is on it, their advice. Listen always to constituents. You know, if you're elected, you should always be trying to find out. You know, what is it that they want? You know, it's not about me imposing what I think they might want. It's about listening to people and saying, well, what would, what are you looking for in your area? What are you looking for that would make life just that bit easier? Um, how can we help? Uh, how can I help support you and what you want to do? So it's it's that kind of listening role because I think people's perception as politicians they stand up and make speeches, but actually we listen a lot more than we talk. Um, at least you should be. But I would right. say to any young woman that's that's wanting to come out and do that, absolutely listen to those around you and um, learn from those who've been there before um, and, and find your own way through it.
0: Well, thanks very much indeed Alison. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that that are already seeing you as a role model and that, as you say, there are a lot of young women coming through um, in our party and other parties and we look forward oh. to seeing them elected to the council and to parliament. So thank you very much indeed, Alison, and um, if you've got one last message for the listeners on International Women's Day about the Choose to Challenge theme,
10: what would it be? Always think about the power of your voice and use it when you can.
0: Thanks very much indeed, Alison. Hi, India
11: audience. I am Monica from Barcelona in Catalonia. I want to send a warm hug in these hard times we are living for the Interna- International Women's Day. I want to send you a lot of energy to keep on working for the Scottish independence. On this special day, I want to give all my support to all Catalan women and justly imprisoned by the Spanish government and also to Clara Ponsatí, who has been sheltered in my beloved Scotland. An aquest dia especial, vol donar el meu suport a totes les dones emprisonades injustament pel govern espanyol i també a la Clara Ponsatí, que s'ha pogut refugiar a la meva estimada Escòcia. Freedom for Scotland.
12: Hello, my name is Susan Duncan. I live in Glasgow. You are listening to Indie Live Radio. Happy International Women's Day to you all. I was born in Iran, so I would like to do the same in Farsi. Ruzeben ol melal Yezan Mobarak. Choose to challenge gender toys. Buy your girls the science kit, the messy art project, or the robot. Encourage them to be loud, to challenge themselves, to explore and be brave. Choose to challenge male-dominated careers. Bring up your daughters to study engineering, mathematics, or science. Encourage them to follow their dreams. No career should be out with their imagination. Choose to challenge our limits. Let's help our daughters to be independent. Build up their confidence and push them to go out and get what they want. Choose to challenge male-dominated pastimes. Join a martial art class, lift heavy weights or take up CrossFit. Join a rock band, learn the double bass or pick up a chuba. Choose to challenge the glass ceiling push through barriers, and work towards your full potential. Pull other women up with you and encourage your peers to succeed. Happy International Women's Day to each one of you. Behamegi Mubarak. Hello, everybody. Je m'appelle Carole Gustafre, and
13: I'm speaking from France. And uh, I'm saying hello to everyone who's listening to Indie Life Radio. Well, as it is La Journée Internationale des Femmes, and being a French woman, I wanted to say a few words. And uh, I was telling my, some of my friends that being a woman is a challenge in itself, especially, you know, even in Europe. Because even if we have rights now, We still have to fight for equal pay. And um, in some countries within Europe, abortion is still a big problem. And there are people, even women, fighting against the right to abortion. And I think that for us women, the most important thing is to get an education and to have a job. Because as my great-grandmother told my mother years and years ago, Never be financially dependent on a man. Get your job, and if one day something goes wrong, you can leave. So um, I know that even nowadays, in the 21st century, because of some traditions, some religious traditions and, you know, customs, women don't get access to education. They don't get access to, uh, for example, the pill. And um, so they have children, and life for them is very difficult. And uh, as for us, for example, French women in France, at the beginning of the lockdown, the president decided to uh, shut all the schools. And as most French women work, it was very difficult for them to keep the children at home, and uh, they couldn't go to work. So most of the time, the husbands would go to work, and the women would stay home. So to me, education and financial independence are the most important things for women around the world. And as long as there's a Journée Internationale des Femmes, it means that we'll have to fight till this Journée Internationale des Femmes disappears.
0: We're delighted, as our next guest, to have Agnes Tommy from Scottish Women's Convention. And we've had Agnes on as a guest before. And we're absolutely delighted that she has uh, accepted an invitation to come back on today and speak to us on our special International Women's Day show. Hello, Agnes. Hello, Valerie, and hello, Marvin. How are you both?
14: Thanks for inviting
0: me back. So first of all, Agnes, would you like to start and tell our listeners about the event that your um, organisation is organising for International Women's Day? Yes, um,
14: the Scottish Women's Convention hosts an annual International Women's Day event and we normally vote it in the Scottish Parliament, but due to the current Circumstances that's not possible. So this year, it's online. What we decided to do was when we were talking before the year end about you know what the theme would be, and we were struck by the the number of women in Scotland who, and not always necessarily nurses, doctors that are employed in the front line. We kept coming across women in their communities who were doing things as well, you know, Mm -hmm. doing something extra and additional to help neighbours, their community. And we decided that we wanted to showcase women in Scotland Mm -hmm. and what they were doing during this pandemic. And it, the stories which uh, um, were putting out every single day, we thought we'll just run it for this period from the start of the year until International Women's Day. And then on International Women's Day, we'll just put them on a roller so that people can see them all again. So we asked, went out to our networks and asked for people to nominate women. And we're overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed. And some of the stories are absolutely amazing. That women, and it's not a, a surprise I suppose to us. The range of stories, the range of activities has been. And fundraising for things and so on. These are ordinary women in Scotland. who have stepped up to the mark and made it easier for other people to cope with this pandemic and the stories are fantastic.
0: Your theme, I believe, is celebrating women in Scotland, is that correct, that's Uh That's
14: the theme? Uh And we've heard um, women from all professions, different ethnic backgrounds, different ages, young women, older women, it's been a fantastic response, a fantastic response and some of our speakers on the day will be chaired by the one and only Linda Fabiani (laughs) who I think this is her last year as an MSP she's not standing again so she'll be sadly missed uh, not just by us but by everything that she does she's Got boundless energy, enthusiasm, and a fantastic sense of humour. But it's, it's good fun. She's good fun. The First Minister, unfortunately, cannot attend, but I think we all know that her workload is just impossible uh, at the moment. But she's agreed to record uh, a statement for the, the day, fantastic. and it would be the first one she's ever missed, to be honest. But the circumstances dictate that she can't come along. Monica Lennon is, um, and Monica's going to talk about during the pandemic how she managed to steer the period poverty bill through the Scottish Parliament. The whole world is responding yeah. to that. New Zealand has responded to it, and w- women from different countries all around the world. And yeah. uh, Trevor Noah, uh, he's, he's South African. And, and he uh, does one of these late night shows in America. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and, yeah. He's he's so. I like him. I'm a huge fan. But he was saying that, um, uh, you know, to women of the world, if you want to go somewhere where women are appreciated and understood, go to Scotland. <laughs>
1: I saw I saw a, a clip uh, a tweet yesterday, uh, Agnes, which was from Chelsea Clinton, and. And she was sort of say congratulating New Zealand for taking this ahead. But she uh, in the tweet she said, "And thank you, Scotland, for showing the world the way." It was great. Yeah, really nice so, to see so, it.
14: And it's it's a, it's been achieved. During this pandemic, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, I mean, we know that the campaign itself is older than yeah. the start of this pandemic, but the fact that it went through our Scottish Parliament, eventually through our Scottish Parliament, and it was unanimous, and I think that's fantastic, and also for for women and young women in particular, it's taken away that whole stigma and that horrible feeling and of what the had to go through, especially. Uh, They've not had any money. So their stories uh, were not nice to listen to. It's it's terrible in this day and age. So that was good. Um, uh, So the women are, are stepping up to the mark. They're doing fabulous things all across Scotland. And we are so proud of them. And we want to showcase that on International Women's Day. We want to say, look, this is what women in Scotland are capable of. This is what they do, and it's not for medals or honour or anything else. It's because of who we are, and that we can and we want to.
0: It's it's altruism. It's not um you know it's not the, There is no society mentality. It's the the idea of collective responsibility and caring for the most vulnerable and not always putting yourself first. So the next thing I'd like to ask you about is, apart from this event which in itself sounds uh, worth the whole uh, year of the Scottish Women's Convention, I believe you have been doing other work though like yeah, uh, particularly well, carers and uh, child care Could, do you want to like say a little bit about that?
14: Well, we had held an online conference and we were so oversubscribed that we had to hold a second one just before Christmas, and that was on social care. And a lot of it focused, a lot of the attention was focused on care homes and uh, what was happening in them, not necessarily for uh, the... People who live in them, you know, but the workers as well. So we, what we did is we did the broad scope of it, what it's like to to be, and it was awful. The stories we're hearing about loneliness and not seeing family and all that during this pandemic, but it also highlighted in the private health care sector how uh, badly paid some of the people are and these women came along and they told their stories but there was all sorts of things attached to that, home carers, there was uh, carers who looked after people in their communities and so on and we built up quite a, a good report around that, a very good report actually and we sent that in and I know that there's uh, uh, care homes uh, discussions going on in the, the Parliament uh, just mm. now. I don't know what stage they're at, uh, I know, but there was discussions last week about it. So that won't go away. That was a, a really interesting piece of work that we did and we spoke with women again, with women, it's a women's event, and who work in the care homes, who've got family in the care homes, but also carers and disabled people about the struggles that they're having, uh, disabled women are having to try and and get the resources that they need to help them through this pandi- pandemic. So there were some real uh, hard stories to listen mm-hmm. to. I must be honest, but we, you know, we got we got through. There were, and as I say, it was oversubscribed, so we had to do another one. So the speakers were brilliant as well, and then we did one another one on. Post Brexit, and that was quite revealing. And it was it was interesting at the time that we did that that the stories were coming out in a about the in up north in particular where the fishing industry was facing some real crises, especially the crab, lobster, yeah. and you know the crustaceans uh, industry was facing some serious problems there and women were really, really worried and it was a, a common theme emerging through the pandemic and through Brexit women are really worried financially, they're really worried that ha- post- when post is over the, the pandemic seems to have sort of let bre- the problems with Brexit hide under it and, and for women this is just awful so they've got the schools are going back things like that are happening but what they're really concerned about is that the poverty am I going to be living like this forever you know hand to mouth and that is something that we're we're looking at as well Mm -hmm. Uh, the free school meals that the the Scottish Government introduced has been a a godsend to, to a lot of families and the £10 the child child payment—that payment? Yeah. has just been
0: That's so that. welcome. Yeah, the February, didn't it? Um, yeah, I read some statistics the other day, and it's clear. And I think when I was in one of your meetings um, a few months back, that this was picked up on the um, the pandemic, but also Brexit is the same. it, is, it will imp- has impacted disproportionately on women. Um, And also that the the figures that I saw the other day were quite staggering in the number of women who had lost their jobs because they're quite often in part-time jobs, temporary jobs and they're the ones that get hit the most Um, so it's good that they have um, an organisation like yourselves who are bringing women's stories and women's <laughs> opinions and experiences to the fore and that you're a conduit a conduit to feed that back to the government. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but you know okay. what? I mean. You're <laughs> <at> a channel
14: Pronounce it like a good spot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um we are thoroughly looking forward to hearing a Your speaker, all these great women speakers on Monday on actual International Women's Day itself, 8th of March. Can I ask you for anyone that's listening, um, Agnes? So, people can register on an event, right? For this free event, and they can get a link via the Scottish Women's Convention website, and it's on the Monday the 8th of March from 6pm till 8pm. One thing, see if somebody wasn't able to uh, attend, you know, or zoom in at that time. Will it be available later perhaps it is on YouTube?
14: It's not It's not being recorded because of the confidential nature of uh, some of the contributions that we made on the day. We have to be very careful about that because okay. people were asking and we took advice and the advice we got was, was best not to record it so we That's won't That's
0: understandable so Yeah, we I mean, you come out day, home If they want to hear they need to sign up and they need to be there at 6 o'clock on uh-uh. Monday the 6th of March So Agnes it's been a total pleasure speaking to you today and uh, I hope you'll come back on in the future and for maybe a more extended interview and tell us more about the work of your fantastic organisation which is really flying the flag for the women of Scotland. And Marlene I'm sure would like to thank you as well, but I would like to thank you very much indeed.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: thanks you're very welcome. Much. You're welcome. I always enjoy chatting to you. We've come to the end of the first edition of the International Women's Day 2021 show on Indie Live Radio. And today you heard from Rosa Salee, Isabel Lindsay, Clax Women for Independence, Shona Craven, Alison Thoulis, and Agnes Tommy.
1: I really enjoyed the programme, Val. I know you did too. And just say to the listeners, tune in tomorrow evening, Saturday the 6th of March at 7pm. Another six guests, and we hope you enjoy this.